0: First John chapter 5, we're almost finished. We have, after this week, we have two weeks left. We have special guest, Mr. Mahler, next Sunday, and uh, then I'll be wrapping it up the Sunday after. And if you could, uh, something that just to keep in mind, we like to lift our leaders up in prayer. Just pray for the Mahler family, as uh, uh, Mr. Mark lost his dad uh, last uh, week, and so they've been grieving all week, and but also celebrating the fact that he's uh, he's with God now, and not suffering anymore, so pray for the Mahler family if you could. Uh, So 1 John chapter 5, uh, we're looking at the first five verses, and we're going to be, I say we're going to be quick, but you know, when I get up here sometimes, (laughs) I think it's going to be quick and it's not, but we're going to get you guys to your small groups hopefully quickly so we can get you um, discussing some of these statements about who you are in Christ. Uh, But you look at 1 John 5, verse 1. It's kind of an intro, really, the, to, the, to the chapter. It kind of goes back to what we talked about last week, what Dave talked about last week, um, and then what we're talking about this week. is kind of a transition verse. So if you look at 1 John 5.1, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. You guys heard that before, something like it? If you've been paying attention at all to 1 John... This theme continues to go on and on and on. The fact that love for other Christians shows that you actually love God. It's a, it's a theme found throughout the book of First John, and you hear it in all, pretty much every chapter. All five chapters talk about this. So if you take that statement the opposite way is, If you don't have love for fellow Christians, if you hate brothers and sisters in Christ, then you don't love God. It's it's a simple statement that's full of truth. Because there's no way for you to love God and hate one of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's impossible. So 1 John 5 talks and starts off with that verse challenging us in that area. And so what I want us to look at today is just two things that that encompass what the world is. John gets into this concept of the world, and he talks about the world. And the first thing I want you to see in this passage is that the world needs to see that authentic love means active obedience. The world needs to see. So before we get into this concept and, and this point, we need to identify... Who or what the world is? Because there can be lots of answers to that. But what is John saying in this passage? Because the world could mean... what? Could Give me some things that if I said to you, the world, what are some things you think of? Throw them out there. Raise your hand. What does, comes to your mind when you hear the world? All right, sin? Anything that comes to your mind? It doesn't have to be a church answer. All right. Yep. Yeah, crashing planes. <laughs> that's wow. <laughs> that's a cra- that's that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. In the back. Earth. What, the media, like movies, music, all that stuff. Yes. Cooper. What? Greed. So he say greed. A ball. Yeah. So some of you have. When I say the world. Different things come to your mind, and that's why it's important for us to get what John is saying, because some of us see a ball, some of us see crashing planes, some of us see the planet Earth, some of us see greed, and some of us see sin. So it's important for us that what in the world, sorry, I couldn't resist, what in the world is John talking about? Yes, thank you, thank you in the back. Appreciate that, Ryan. So, uh, yes, (laughs) thanks, thanks. I'll be here all morning. Uh, so, what in the world is John saying? He, so, he's saying the world, when he refers to the world in this passage, he's talking about the things, the people, the stuff, the media, whatever is around you that can either influence you or you can influence. That's what he's talking about when he comes to the world. It can be people, it can be music, it can be movies. It can be, uh, let's see, things that you do. It could be school. It could be lots of things. But the world, when he's talking about here, is something tangible that you can feel. But also the world, in, in this sense, is also talking about a spiritual battle too. This is a big definition of the world. Because in the second point, we'll actually see that it's also not just physical things you can hear, see, touch. But also a spiritual battle, too, in the second point. But the first one is more uh, physical. Authentic love means active obedience. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So, in order to understand if you have this love, and for the world to see this love, first of all, you need to understand that this love is not phony. This isn't fake. Now, fake to me is like me when I used to get in trouble for hitting my sister or doing something that I wasn't supposed to do toward another sibling, and I probably caused it most likely. And my mom and dad would make me face them. And phony was me saying sorry, and then my dad would say, "And, please forgive me," and I walk away. No, that no, wait! I didn't hear. They didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Phony was me saying that when I was made to say it. That really wasn't authentic at all. It was me doing what I was told because I know I'd probably get a spanking or something else. You know that would happen in discipline. That if I didn't say that, that was phony. And a lot of Christians, unfortunately, have phony love. It's not authentic. It's not real. They don't love from their heart, and they don't love as a result of obeying God's commandments. If you hear God's commandments in the Word, you see that He gives commands to love one another, to consider others more important than yourselves, to serve one another. Authentic love happens when you humble yourself. And so this love isn't phony But also, you know, the object of this love often doesn't deserve it. You know that my brother or sister probably didn't deserve for me to say, will you forgive me, because they probably did something back to me. Or maybe they started it. Or maybe your teacher doesn't necessarily deserve your love because they haven't been the greatest teacher and and the most loving and kind person. Maybe your parents have done something to you. Or against the family. And they don't deserve your love. Maybe a friend stabbed you in the back. Maybe a friend was gossiping about you. Maybe someone who you thought was a friend hurt you. And in your mind, in the world's mind, they don't deserve that love. But does God say in his word, does First John say here... love authentically, give your love for others when they deserve it, when they buy you stuff, when they treat you nicely, when they take care of you and when they don't say mean things to you. No, it's just, he says, obey the commands. He says, look, we love God and obey his commandments. Those go together. There's no separating those. Obeying his commandments is loving people regardless of what they do to you or against you. Um, There's a, a verse in Matthew, chapter 11, I think we have it up there. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Look at those verses. If you just read those verses and didn't know anything about God, do you think that would be you would read that and think, hmm, this Christian life might be easy? When I read them, I, that's what I think. If I didn't know the reality of a Christian life and following Christ, that things will go well, right? Nothing's going to go wrong. If you heard the lesson last week up in the main church that that God gave me from His Word about being faithful, that you know. Everything's cool because I'm following God, right? Everything's going to go smooth. No parents are going to get divorced, right? No teacher's going to get on your case. There's going to be no fighting among your siblings, right? No brothers and sisters going at it, right? It's all going to be smooth. Is that what he's saying here? No, in, in the trials, in the tough times, this love comes out, And this yoke, so to speak, and we won't get into that, it's too long of a a thing. But the reality is that his commands aren't meant to weigh you down. The commandments that he gives aren't meant to weigh you down and put burdens on you and pressure on you and make you feel a slave to commandments. How many of you in here would say, look up here, how many of you in here would say, sometimes, to be honest with you, Tim, sometimes I feel really this heavy burden to not sin, and it's pretty overwhelming sometimes. Anybody? I'm raising my hand. It's okay. You can raise your hand. Do you feel pressure, like, not to sin? Like, it's really hard. You probably, if you're all honest, you probably say, yeah, unless you're an angel. Some of you are maybe an angel sitting among us, and, and maybe you don't have that problem. But most of us are humans, and we feel this weight we feel this pressure to not sin, to feel this pressure of, man, everywhere I go, there's opportunity to sin. Everywhere I go, there's opportunity to break the commandments that God has given me. And God's saying, no, 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 this is, you got it all wrong. You got this concept wrong. It's not you feeling this way, because I remember middle school. It was a long time ago, but I really do remember it, I promise. I'm not all the way senile yet. I remember middle school, and I remember reading the Word of God and feeling this weight. Okay, I can't look at that. I can't look at her. I can't do this. I can't say that. I can't go here. I can't go there. I can't drink that. I can't smoke that. I can't. And it's like all these things that you hear in your mind, and you're like, oh, you know, it's, it's just overwhelming. Don't sin. Don't sin. Don't break the commandments. Don't, don't, don't disappoint God. Don't. He's not going to love you. And, and there's all these thoughts going through your head. And, and First John's trying to help us understand. John's trying to help us understand that these commandments that are given are not burdensome. And here's how they're not burdensome. They're, they're burdensome and they are heavy on you if you don't know God. And they are heavy on you if you aren't in touch with what the Spirit is leading you to do but His burden is light when you spend time abiding in Him. The yoke is easy when you pray and trust Him in the trials and in the testings and in the tough times that these commandments that He gives you aren't a heavy thing, aren't an annoying thing, but they're actually a joy to follow. And as you abide in Christ, it actually becomes Joyful to obey your mom. Seriously. I said that. It actually brings you joy when you really abide in Christ and say, I'm going to glorify God by doing what my parents say. My parents are, amen. Yeah. I can glorify God by obeying. I can glorify God by humbling myself and serving others like a bunch of people did yesterday at Helping Hands, CTLC, Hope Pregnancy Center, right out here around the church. They humbled themselves and served. I can glorify God, and there's joy in following his commands. They're not burdensome. They're not meant to weigh you down. And I'm going to let small groups get into that more. The second point is what the world wants you to forget. Here's something the world wants you to forget. I think it's up here. It will magically appear. Go. Yes. What the world wants you to forget. New birth by faith makes you a world conqueror. Look at that statement. Everybody say that with me. Ready? Read read that line with me. New birth by faith makes you a world conqueror. Let's do it again. New birth by faith makes you a world conqueror. Look at those two verses say. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The fact is, you can overcome the world. It's a fact. You by yourself can't, but you, with the Holy Spirit's power, living in your life, abiding in Christ, you can overcome the world. Now, does this mean you're going to be that little... uh alien on Bugs Bunny, uh, that little black alien that wears a helmet, kind of looked like the Elvis hair, and he says, I'm going to conquer the world, you know, and he's, he's up on this other planet ready to blow up blow up the world or to come conquer the world. We're not describing that because that's what pops in my head when I think conquering the world. What I'm talking about when it says conquering the world is means that world, the temptation doesn't have its grip on you anymore. You don't feel like you have to sin, that this lust of the flesh is too strong anymore because you have the victory over the world through faith in the risen Son of God and trusting in Him. I think we have a few verses that cover that a little bit. 2 Corinthians is the first one up there. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you look around and you see people that don't know Jesus, you shouldn't be surprised that they are living in the world and doing the things they're doing. When you watch the news, when you get on the internet and see crazy stuff happening, it shouldn't surprise you. Look at what happens. The God of this world, who is that? Who is the God of this world, small g? It's good for you to know this. I should see every hand up. The God of this world, anybody know? Satan, yes. Church answers work sometimes. Satan. The God of this world. The enemy. The enemy of the cross of Christ. Satan himself deceives people, blinds them. I thought of uh, one kid in, in one of my first youth groups. Stood up and led worship. He was involved in small groups, involved in leading a small group. And then I get a Facebook request from him the other day. I accept his request. And what do I get? What do I get? I see that not only is he putting on posts about being an atheist, but also putting on posts about being gay. And here's a kid who led worship who was in small groups, who to me looked like on the outside at least followed Christ with all his heart. But there's nothing in him now that I can look at and say that he's a believer. He's been deceived by the God of this world. He's been shown things in his life that he has believed that are lies. And the reality is the God of this world not only wants to get unbelievers to believe these things, he also wants to get believers to believe these things about themselves as well. You know, the enemy is waiting to deceive you. I think 1 Peter 5.8 is up here also. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Genesis 4, 5-7, we looked at that about a month back. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, so Cain was very angry. His face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The enemy, the world, the God of this world, is waiting, crouching. Everybody look up here. He's crouching. He's waiting to pounce. And he wants to devour you. You are a believer. If you're a believer in this room this morning, that doesn't mean you're immune to Satan's attacks. Now, it does mean if you've trusted Christ that He can't remove you from God's hand. You are in God's hand. You are a Christian if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. But that doesn't make you immune to His attacks. Look up here, guys. Look. Look at what He says. He is like a lion just crouching, waiting behind the bush, just waiting to pounce. You 8th grade guys, it's unbelievable the amount of temptation you have in front of you. And he's just waiting to pounce and devour your life and to destroy you and to make you useless for the kingdom of God. You girls, the same way, he will use other means. But he, look at the last part of that Genesis 4, 5-7. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Obviously, abiding in Christ allows you to rule over this sin. Having Jesus Christ's life living through you allows you to rule over this sin. The victory only comes by faith in the living Son of God. If you try to overcome the world, if you try to overcome sin in any other way, you're going to fail. You're going to get devoured. I, I considered... Uh, Getting a YouTube video for you guys especially because you're visual learners, but I thought it might be too graphic of like a lion actually on YouTube just chasing down its prey and ripping it to shreds. So I'll let you guys just imagine that right now. Go ahead. Imagine a lion crouching, pouncing, shredding. Yeah. That is the word picture that is given here. Now, here's the deal. We can see that on video, because we are video people nowadays. We can see it, and we almost don't even get it. We almost don't get the gravity of it, the immense weight of this. But I really want you to think about that. Satan is waiting. He's hiding. He's there waiting to pounce and to devour you. It's crouching at the door. Some of you are already being devoured. I mean, like... If we could see, listen guys, you guys in the back, I know it's tough, but listen up. I want you to picture this, because if I could see, like, if I could put on special glasses, not 3D glasses, but glasses where I could see the enemy, who is very well alive in this room right now. If I could see the enemy... With these special, say these are my special glasses, okay? None of you have them, just me, because I'm special. And I put these glasses on, and I can see the enemy attacking the guys in the back. I can actually see, unfortunately, some of them are already half mangled. they no, for real. Somebody's like, "Well, that's weird." But that's what we're talking about. This is a spiritual battle that's taking place and some of you are already half-shredded because you're allowing yourself to be devoured, girls. You're allowing yourself to be devoured by the world. And he's using even now to have a conversation with one another to miss the point. But Satan is waiting to get you. And some of you, he's already gotten you. Some of you, he's already has you by the leg. He's got you by the arm. You're missing limbs. Now, it sounds really weird, but it's reality that he's waiting to devour you, to crush you spiritually. Why would Satan want to do that? Why does he want to do that when if if, if you've trusted Christ and you are a Christian? Why would he waste his time? Is he just dumb? Does he just not realize that you're a Christian and you're already going to heaven? So he's like, oh, I didn't know you are a Christian. I'll stop devouring you. I don't think that's the case. I think Satan, the Bible says, is very wise, much wiser than you will ever be. And this is what he does. He devours you. He rips you to shreds. He tears your faith so that when it comes to loving other Christians and when it comes to doing what you know to do and overcoming the world, you fall flat in your face and you show others Christianity is a failure. You show others like that kid that's led worship up here on stage, not here, but in this other youth group, led worship, you show him that Christianity is worthless, that it's really not powerful, it's not the Son of God living inside of you, it's not the Holy Spirit guiding you, It's a waste of time. And as you allow Satan to devour you, Christianity becomes more and more a waste of time as others watch your lack of love toward other brothers and sisters in Christ. And Satan has won. Satan has won the battle for you. Not for your soul, necessarily, because you have trusted Christ, hopefully but he's won the battle in your faith and how it impacts others. Romans 8, we'll finish with this and then we'll pray. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he references a lot of things in there. And some of the things that he references, we don't think about. The powers of this air, the rulers of darkness, the evil things that attack you and tempt you. And we're just hanging out, playing our video games, talking, goofing off. And we don't recognize there's a battle. There's something beyond that's happening in your life. And the quicker you realize this battle exists, the quicker you can understand, I need to abide in Christ. I need to abide in Christ. There's nothing else better I can do but abide in Christ every day. Reading the Word, praying, talking to God as you walk to school, as you go around your room, as you're hanging out, abiding in Christ. Letting the Spirit move you to overcome the world. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the challenge from your word. We thank you that we can overcome the world through the power of your spirit, through Jesus Christ himself living inside of us. As we go to discussion, I pray that you'll bring that to our understanding even more. In your name we pray. Amen.